Hello, and welcome to the If We Knew Then podcast. I'm Stephen Socks. And I'm Lori Socks. And today we're joined by Dr. Brian Scottco. This is our second interview with Dr. Scottco. He is the creator of Down Syndrome Clinic to You. He is the sibling of a sister with Down Syndrome. He is an advocate for our community. He is an exceptional human being, and I'm, I'm so happy to have this conversation with him. Today we're going to discuss the effects of COVID on our community and on our loved ones. We will talk about vaccination, the importance of vaccinations and how to address and approach vaccinations. And we will revisit Down Syndrome Clinic to you. Be sure to check out our first interview with Dr. Scott Coe, as well as the links below in the show notes to some of the wonderful resources he has provided. Dr. Scott Coe. Welcome back. It's so good to be back. Thanks so much for inviting me back. We haven't talked to you in a while. It was nice talking to you last year, and we kind of concentrated on your Down Syndrome Clinic to you, uh, which we were really happy to talk about, and we can also touch on that too. But we're at the, um, I don't know, I want to say the end of this pandemic, but we're at a point where we're maybe we're feeling a little more comfortable because there's vaccines out there. Maybe we're trending toward more normal, and we thought this would be a good time to talk about COVID and, Vaccination. and vaccinations in our community. Well, I'm glad you want to talk about it because as a practicing physician who runs a Down syndrome clinic, these are the questions that I'm asked on a regular basis by families. You know, for over a year, we have taken quite a journey as a community, as a nation. And as you mentioned, while we've learned a lot, some of the ramifications of COVID-19 still are not over for our community. So happy to answer any questions you might have. Well, for those listeners that maybe didn't tune into the, our last episode, do you mind just briefly just telling us again a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Dr. Brian Scottco. I'm a medical geneticist, and I'm also the director of the Down Syndrome Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. It's there with my multidisciplinary team that we're able to see 600 patients with Down Syndrome of all ages to make sure that they are as healthy and their wellness is as maximized as possible. I also am a brother to two sisters, one of whom has Down syndrome, and Kristen is her name, and she keeps me um, calibrated in so many different ways. So let's get right into COVID. You said you receive a lot of questions. Do you just want to kind of answer those questions? Because we may not know the questions. I know um, the forefront of my mind is the ramifications of COVID that you've seen, and then also I want to talk about the vaccination because I'm sure there's a lot of fears out there. There's a lot of fears from parents with neurotypical children. Those are two things on my mind, but I'm sure you know all of the questions that are out there. Well, Lori, when we started this pandemic, there was so much fear for all of us in the nation, but particularly those of us who have loved ones with Down syndrome. But now over a year later, we have lots of good data and we're better informed because the science and the clinical experience has allowed us to learn more. You know, all cases of COVID-19, we have been tracking as an international community and parents have been invited to help us track through a organization called the T21 Research um, Society. And through that, we have learned that individuals with Down syndrome who are younger than 40, their immune systems overwhelmingly seem to be strong enough in order to battle COVID-19 should the person get infected. And that is a real relief because we did not know if that was the case at the beginning of the pandemic. What we also know is those who are 40 and older, they can and do have serious complications from COVID-19 should they get infected. And certainly that is because we know that people with Down syndrome tend to perhaps age a little bit quicker. And we know that someone who is 40 with Down syndrome responds to COVID-19 as though someone who is 80 in the neurotypical population. Therefore, it is really important that we keep people with Down syndrome 40 and older protected from COVID. And the best way to do that is now with the vaccines. And what a relief it has been to have three really good scientifically tested solid vaccines available in the United States. 
you know, my wife and I have been fortunate to travel and meet Down syndrome communities from around the world, and they are so eager. So many other nations do not even yet have the vaccination options. And it is still a fearful moment for those who have adults with Down syndrome older than 40 in other parts of the world and not yet have that vaccine. But we are fortunate here in the United States, and the best way we could protect people with Down syndrome is to make sure they get one of the vaccines that are very safe. So I, along with my colleagues from the Down syndrome medical interest group, which is a collection of all of us clinicians who take care of loved ones with Down syndrome in the United States, firmly recommend everyone with Down syndrome who is eligible, which right now is ages 12 and older, to get the vaccine. Have you seen many side effects, or what are the side effects that you see from the vaccination in uh, people with who have Down syndrome? So the side effects we have seen have been no different from their neurotypical counterparts. When I got the vaccine, the first one I was okay, a little sore arm. The second one, I kind of felt a little crummy for about 24 hours and kind of had flu-like symptoms. Uh, but typically within 24 hours to 48 hours, those side effects of slight fever, discomfort, and body aches will go away. And I have found that my patients with Down syndrome have tolerated that vaccine um, very easily with no side effects above and beyond that of the neurotypical counterparts. How would you recommend to talk to your children uh, about the vaccine? I think it's so important to be honest and to give information at the developmental level that they could understand. And I'll send you a link for the show notes where we have compiled some stories that you could read to younger individuals with Down syndrome to help them understand what the vaccine is and why that's important. We've also been able to find some great videos with simple explanatory reasons on why the vaccine could be very helpful for those with Down syndrome and intellectual disabilities. So I found that parents could look at these videos, look at these social stories and decide what might be best for their loved one with Down syndrome. And then for those who have sensitivities for shots, and let's be frank, not everyone enjoys getting the vaccine. There are ways to also practice and rehearse at home so you make it as tolerable as possible for the person with Down syndrome. So again, it's communicate, it's talking, it's educating, it's being comfortable, but more importantly, stressing as a family that this is important and something we all need to do together. So we will include in the show notes both a link to the... I'll even make it easy for you, Lori. I'll Thank give you. you a link to this fact sheet that our clinic has been updating. And within that fact sheet is all of the questions and answers and all of the sublinks. So your listeners could find all these resources available for free through that link. Great. And also the videos about the vaccine. Yes, exactly. You'll be all in that fact sheet. That would be so helpful. Uh, sensitivity to shots. Do you have any recommendations on how to approach that? Because I know our daughter is afraid of shots and to prepare her was, was a com was conversation. But I find that with Liam sometimes, and it's, you know, our own, you know, fault because we're so in the moment with Liam as far as like supporting his education and everything. Sometimes we forget that we should begin to prep and it's really been in only in the last couple of months when he's wanted to go to the grocery store and things that we still haven't felt comfortable doing with him that I've, you know, reiterated that not only is it a cold that people have, but this is a pandemic. And so can you recommend any conversations that we can have with our children? I have found a lot of people with Down syndrome get anxious around shots and blood draws when they didn't know that was in the game plan for today right? All of a sudden, life was going according to plan. And there all of a sudden, now I need to get a shot. And it's just that, oh, I wasn't in my game plan, right? For some people with Down syndrome, um, parents have say, if we talk about it early, they'll perseverate about it all day. And it's actually counter. So everyone knows their child best. But for a lot of people with Down syndrome, if you have a social story, and a social story, again, is that clear booklet with pictures and words to say, these are the steps that are going to happen today. We're going to go to the doctor. Here's a picture of the doctor. Number two, we are going to check in. Number three, we're going to get a shot. It'll only be a pinch. Number four, et cetera. To read that in advance and say, today's the day we're going to do it. And we're going to bring that booklet with us so that the person with Down syndrome feels like they have agency. They're in control of their day. No one's going to pull a fastball on them. They know what's coming next. And that really is empowering for them. Uh, the other thing I would mention is, why are we doing the shot? 
And we don't need to get into a long philosophical um, discussion with many of our loved ones with Down syndrome, and we don't need to get into the nitty gritty science, but what do they get out of this? And for many people around the country, once you're vaccinated, you could take that mask off. So right now, one motivator, if your son or daughter hasn't been vaccinated, and if it's okay in your community, you could say, once you get this pinch, you could take your mask off and you don't have to wear it. And that's a concrete, tangible reason and a reward for them to get it done. So I think a combination of those approaches might be helpful. I would also mention, if you have a loved one with Down syndrome with a lot of sensitivities, particularly those in our community who have loved ones with Down syndrome and autism, Sometimes going to a crowded vaccination place, getting a shot is really going to be a terrible experience. I know a lot of states are now arranging for at-home vaccination services for those who need it. Within our state in Massachusetts, you could call and with a doctor's note say, my son or daughter, because of their medical reason, needs an at-home shot. And within our state, one of the qualified distributors of the vaccine will actually come to your home so it's distributed in the safest, most comfortable space for your loved one with Down syndrome. So check in with your local Department of Public Health to see if that might be an option. Now, Liam's 11, so he is not eligible now for the vaccine. So can you talk about how important it is for family members around someone that's too young to get the vaccine at this point to be vaccinated? The best way to keep loved ones with Down syndrome safe is to have everyone in the household vaccinated. And so that's why I really encourage caregivers and loved ones living in the same household to be vaccinated. Now, I should note that there are some contraindications to the vaccine, rare ones. So I always encourage everyone to check what those are on uh, the CDC's website and discuss them with your own physician. But should you have none of those contraindications, I would encourage people to get vaccinated. The other good news, again, I go back to this, um, Stephen, is that those individuals under the age of 40 and a lot of the younger children Liam's age, if they were to get COVID, their symptoms are expected to be mild and their immune systems should be strong enough to fight it. And so that's why our younger ones are in a good place. But as you know, lots of research is still going on and we expect hopefully by the end of this year or early next year, the vaccine to be offered for even a younger age. Yeah, I mean, we've learned so much about this virus. Um, we're always learning about it. Things are changing, and that's a good thing. I know people see a change in in what is recommended and sometimes use that toward maybe not trusting the medical community, but we're just changing because we're adapting to what we're learning. And initially, we were we felt as parents that Liam was maybe at the highest risk because of, of, of his age and Down syndrome. And now we know today, thank you, <laughs> today. that uh, <laughs> we can and breathe a little better. That, yeah, right. But we, uh, we, that really feels good to, to know that and to know that he has the ability to survive if he got it. And, and that was something that we didn't, we didn't know earlier. So thank you. Well, of course. You know, the, one of the top roles and jobs of a parent is to protect your children, right? And we have seen that in such full force. When we had this global pandemic with little research, an unknown entity, everyone just kind of, you know, cradled their children in and said, I am here to protect you. And we did such a good job at conveying that to parents. What I'm now seeing is how do you kind of open your arms and allow people to re-experience and re-enter communities. And you know, this is the number one topic I've been discussing in my clinic where parents still have their children at home, even though everyone's vaccinated, we have um, almost habituated fear within our communities. And I would just like to say um, to everyone, if your loved one is vaccinated or younger than the vaccination age and they have Down syndrome, now is the time for them to re-emerge and re-enter in their communities. Why? Because social isolation has a long effect, and we don't even know what that is for all of us. People with Down syndrome need to interact with their peers, not just over Zoom, but in person. People with Down syndrome, they do have their learning challenges. They do have intellectual disabilities. They need that academic enrichment of schooling. And if your school offers an in-person option, now is the time to return because we need to make sure they get that academic enrichment. And I know it's hard to trust and open the doors again and let our loved ones back into the community. But if your household is vaccinated, you are safe and it's time to go back to the community. 
Thank you. You you mentioned that's such good news. I know that's really that's great. Really wonderful. You had mentioned the vaccine opening up to younger children. Do you have a timeline at all, like in your professional insight of when someone like Liam, who's 11, could get the vaccine? It's not like I have insider knowledge, but from what I uh, learned, like we all do from Dr. Fauci and all of the medical authorities, uh, it really is in the companies proceeding and they seem to be proceeding on target and they're giving us an indication perhaps by the end of this calendar year or early next year. What I'm so grateful for is not just the companies doing the clinical trials, but it's submitting the raw data to our FDA, who then independently analyzes all of that data. So it's not as though we as a country take the word of the company's own analysis. We reanalyze and go through extensive scrutiny in order to make sure that these vaccines can be distributed. And while we have emergency use authorizations, it's important for everyone to understand there is no bypassing the highly scrutinous um, analysis that needs to be done. So an early use authorization means it has to be absolutely safe with no corners cut. However, they're willing for it to come out before we know it's truly effective. And now we've had almost over a year of people uh, having the vaccine, so we know it's effective. But I want people to know loud and clear an emergency use authorization by no means compromises the safety integrity that people need to go through um, when they submit things to our FDA. Well, it's a scientific method. You know, it's, we're, we're, it's open. Nothing's behind closed doors. So we have scientists all over the world that are taking this data and looking at it over and over. And we're at a great place. We've, we've learned so much and we've learned the efficiencies even more than we thought at, at one point. So this is great. You know, another topic that comes up is what is this long-term impact on people with Down syndrome? Fortunately, it's not going to be a medical one, but we also need to start planning and thinking about the social and employment impact. So many of our adults with Down syndrome were meaningfully engaged in employment in the community. And we know that COVID-19 closed and shuttered so many of businesses and small businesses around the country. Those were the very places where people with Down syndrome had jobs. And I know so many adults with Down syndrome who are eager and now fully medically vaccinated and willing to go back to work have no places to go back to work to. And so we need to make sure as we open as a community that we continue to advocate to employ people with Down syndrome in our areas of employment. Research has demonstrated over and over again, people with Down syndrome are among the most committed employees out there. And I would just encourage everyone to make sure they consider rehiring or hiring someone with Down syndrome because they're in need of jobs and ready to go back to work. So let me ask you as a community, is there something that we can do? Because then just in my mind, I thought, can we uh, send emails to Apple and different companies to say, hey, well, since you're reopening, since COVID had such an effect on the smaller businesses that employed our community, what do you do to create diversity and inclusion in your company? And maybe if maybe that's something as a community we can do, because I know that as the world is shifting into this next phase, this post-COVID phase, there's a lot of changes. So they're not necessarily thinking of that. Maybe that's something as a community that we can do is if you have a thought or time to send an email to any company. And if they start to get these emails, then it can go to the forefront because inclusion is a big conversation now. Lori, I think that's so right. And I think it really, everyone could play a role um, and it doesn't have to be a huge one. I tell parents at your place of employment, do you have someone with Down syndrome working at your place of employment? And if the answer is no, can you think of a way that someone with Down syndrome might be at your place of employment and contact your HR representative and say, can I help you out? And I find that HR oftentimes is just a little bit nervous. Oh, well, how am I supposed to do this? And it's not hard. But I think if we all work within our small elements, then together, as a mighty 250,000 families in the United States who have a loved one with Down syndrome, we could all find 250,000 more places for people with Down syndrome to be employed. You know, this past year and a half, we've had quite an important discussion and a reckoning as a nation about the importance of diversity within our workplace and within our communities. I think we also need to talk about neurodiversity. 
people with Down syndrome and others with intellectual disabilities bring a richness to our lives, but also to our workplaces. And I think it's time that we also factor in neurodiversity into how we consider the communities in which we live. Yeah, we see things on, uh, at least I do, I see it on Twitter, Facebook. This person with Down syndrome has a job at UPS. This person with Down syndrome opened up a bakery. But to be honest, it's really here and there. It's not this overwhelming accepted thing yet. And that's what we need to really get to. We're, We're seeing these little stories which are wonderful. They're wonderful stories, but these achievements need to be multiplied. I'll also send you for the show notes. There's a great website called yournextstar.com, which is a whole micro web page that's been created by the Down Syndrome Organization in Massachusetts called the Massachusetts Down Syndrome Congress. It's available for anyone across the country with a one-stop shop of all the resources you need as an employer to hire someone with Down syndrome and all the resources you need as someone with Down syndrome to be a successful applicant for jobs. And we work so hard at inclusion in school. We work so hard in school. Why do we do that? So that the person with Down syndrome can be included after school is over. And that's the frontier we were making such great headway in before the pandemic, but I'm very fearful that we're gonna take a couple of steps back as many people in the nation have lost their jobs. We need to help people with Down syndrome reclaim those jobs. So parents, siblings, caregivers, friends can take this paperwork. It's been made so easy to your employer and say, do we have anybody with Down syndrome in our company? And you know that that with that, you can open that conversation. It may be an uncomfortable conversation, but then you can empower them to be a part of the change by giving them this paperwork, because I think a lot of the fear comes from changes in society is that when, you know, just like in the medical profession, this, this wonderful tool you've created so that you empower parents to uh, reach out and get support and be able to take information to their doctor, right? So this is the same thing. Now you have information that you can take to your employer or even just a business down the street or in your community and say, hey, how many people do you have with Down syndrome that work here? And they get fear. That's the first thing they fear for so many reasons because then they're thinking I'm not inclusive. And so then you say, hey, I can help you, whether it be today or tomorrow or next week. This is a guideline on how to do it on how to be the first and tell them that. Think about how great your company is going to look if you're the first. And then once they do employ that person with Down syndrome as a community, let's patronize those businesses. Let's give them our dollars because they are the models. And we also have to thank and round out that process. You know, I will say that my clinical team, so I employ a lot of people to be a part of our Down syndrome program. We also employ someone with Down syndrome to be a resource Uh, associate on our team. His name is Ben. He meets with all of our families. He greets them when you arrive in clinic. He is such an integral part of our clinic. I could say I am a better doctor because I have a coworker with Down syndrome. My fellow colleagues are better clinicians because we have a coworker with Down syndrome. The pitch to employers is this is not a charity ask. This is an opportunity to become better employers and better people. And that's what people with Down syndrome will bring. And sometimes employers can't realize that until it's actuated. But the magic always happens when you employ someone with Down syndrome. Well, I think that's what in- inclusion is about. And I know that Stephen and I, we, we do get a little upset sometimes when we see these stories or hear, hear these stories where people will be like, hey, they employed my son and they paid them with pizza or they gave him five cents uh, a napkin to fold. It's like, would you take five cents a napkin? Yeah, we're talking about legitimate jobs. We're, we're talking right. about changing the Not conversation. Not under the table kind of Right, and creating, and creating a diverse world because just like in the classroom, this changes the world for the better. And I think everybody wants the world to be changed for the better. I completely agree. And, you know, when there is in your community, so if you're listening and you're like, but there are no jobs in this community, and sometimes it takes a village for us to change it together. People with Down syndrome can and do deserve to volunteer like the rest of us as well. Now, they should be able to have paid employment, but I oftentimes tell parents, sometimes like all of us, you know, I was a volunteer intern way back when before I got my first job, that I encourage people with Down syndrome to explore what do they love and is there a way to be able to volunteer and also get those job training skills 
uh, that they need in order to make them competitive. But know the difference, because if I'm interning, it's because I see this opportunity and I know the best way in is through that level of learning and also showing the eagerness to learn for free. That's different. That's different than you're going to get a job, but you're not going to get paid for it. So know the difference and, and be empowered to make that choice and to also be able to create that life. Like, I think that it's so empowering. I was talking to a friend of mine. I'm like, you get to make the choices for your life. And it's no different for my son who has Down syndrome than for my friend who's neurotypical. You get to make the choices for your life. You get to be a part of it. You're participating. And I think that's a great conversation and just differentiating between those two things. So well said. And until those jobs are out there, volunteering does get you in the community. We need to force ourselves into the community as well, you know, and and you learn where you're going to fit and we can make places for all of us. But the truth is in that, like I can have what I envision for Liam. Like, okay, Liam, go, go intern at Harvard. That's what we're, where we're going. But Liam may say, I want to make pizzas. So, hey, maybe they'll teach me. Maybe I can get in the kitchen with the chef. And if that's his decision, what he wants to learn, and it's not someone taking advantage of him, but him taking advantage of the opportunity, that is what will make the difference in my son's life, right? Because he's being given an opportunity. I love that. And, and Laura, you get to the heart of goal setting. I think too often we set the goals for people with Down syndrome, and sometimes we have to do that because that's our roles as parents, as loved ones, as caretakers, as physicians, but whenever possible to involve the person with Down syndrome in their own goal setting, whether it's personal, whether it's social, whether it's medical, whether it's employment, gives them a sense of empowerment like it does all of us. And I think we have to realize that that person with Down syndrome should always be the centerpiece at the table when we're talking about them. And like neurotypical people, we should uh, set those goals and, and help set those goals and, and make them lofty goals. We need to keep pushing, our, just like we push ourselves, we need to push each other. We don't even know the potential of people with Down syndrome yet. Why? Because we as a society continue to put artificial barriers on what people with Down syndrome are able to do. If you look back 50 years ago to now, people with Down syndrome are healthier, are accomplishing more and are leading even more meaningful lives. Why? The chromosome hasn't changed. The science hasn't changed. The underlying genetic underpinnings hasn't changed. We have changed as a community, but we know loud and clear from people with Down syndrome, there are still barriers that are getting in the way. This is why I am just so excited about the future and tomorrow because it is only going to get better and better for people with Down syndrome. We love that, Dr. Brian. We, t- we say that all the time, and it's so great to hear you say that. One thing, because I feel like we've made a shift in our conversation, but before we move on from COVID, there's a, a few things that one, I wanted to say, yes, knowing is so important. I find that like just for Liam, uh, if he doesn't know what's going, it's such an unfair transition that I know when he's getting his support, sometimes people will like shift things. Like you're going to sneak have, up on them so that yeah. you can just kind of spring it on them and that'll make it easier, but that doesn't. But, and I'll step in and say, we can't do that. We can't have that expectation because what if, I did that to you. And I think once we think about what if, what if someone did that to me, they just like knocked on my door and they're like, come on, we're going. I'd be like, you know, I need to prepare. We all need to prepare. There's very few things that we can actually just jump out and, and do. And I think that's that consideration is so important. Do we, when we are preparing our loved ones, children, people we take care of to get the vaccination, do we talk about the side effects? Do we say, you may feel this or do we wait until they feel stuff? And if so, how do we monitor those side effects? Because I know Liam has a much higher tolerance. Like he won't tell you until it's like full tilt bozo. I think again, whenever possible, being honest at the developmental level that they could understand. And for many people with Down syndrome is just knowing in that social story, after you get that pinch in the next day, you may have a little bit of a headache. Your tummy might hurt your arm might be soreness, but then the next page is, it will go away. And it's important for them to know that their caregiver, oftentimes a mother or a father, we're gonna be here, we're all gonna do this together. So I, I'm a big fan of being honest and not you know, kind of hoping for the best and when they get sick, because then there's people with Down syndrome are smart. They'll know that they we, we fooled one on them this time and then next time it's gonna be harder. But I don't think we need to go into all the nitty gritty details. I think we just need to present it at their developmental level. 
And I, you know, I tell parents, trust your instincts. You know your loved one went down soon and best. And the medical information that's out there, feel free to adapt it and modify it at a level that they could understand. And then, Lori, to your question about side effects, people with Down syndrome, many of them do have a higher tolerance for pain. And in some situations, that's a bonus, like getting a vaccine and the after effects. Like they may not feel something and we might feel something. So that's a bonus in this situation. In other situations, that works against us. So what if they're actually brewing a real infection or something's going on? By the time they tell us they're in pain, it's oftentimes like we need to get to the emergency room now. But in this case, a high tolerance for pain post-vaccine, which we know is safe, is going to work to our advantage. Yeah, I know every parent is going to be different in how they do it, and you just kind of feel it out. I know for my daughter, who Sophia's getting her second vaccine today, which we're very excited about. She's very excited about it. She knows it's a, it's a medical miracle. But there was something we discussed where when you think about what's going to, not just the shot, but the after effects of it, what are possibilities as you go through this laundry list of things that could happen, which I just went by my own experience and said, this is what I had, like you, I just had a little sore arm the first time. But as you list these things, you have to watch as well how mentally that can affect, especially a teenager. Then anyone. The, and anyone. You're looking out for these things and you can make those things happen just or feel those things. And that's that's totally legitimate. I see that. One thing I just thought of, though, is because he did the laundry list. I did not. But what I did was said, well, how can we prepare for this? And let's uh, clear out your space and make it comfy. So when you come home, if you want to rest for a couple of days, you can. What do you want me to make you for the next couple of days? What do you think you might want to eat? And so then it's like this, almost like a little treat, like you're going to do this great thing to make yourself healthy. What can I do for you? Just to make it easier or, you know, less stressful. And this is exactly why we love you and we need you in our household. <laughs> Next time I get vaccinated, I'm coming to your house. It sounds like a great, great place to be. I love it. I love it. You're telling the, your loved ones that you're here for them. You provide that protection that a parent, um, you know, is expected to provide and you provide that comfort. And also for many people with Down syndrome, there is a reward. So maybe after the vaccine, we're going to watch our favorite movie together and we're going to snuggle up and we're going to have a great time and we're going to sing along, you know, and, and that kind of gets them through to the other side. I love it. Are there any other questions that you get that you want to address that we haven't asked? We've addressed so many of them about the vaccine. Again, we'll have more on the, the fact sheet, but I think the take-home message is if you are eligible, please get vaccinated. Um, if you have questions, talk to your, your provider. If you have some hesitancy or doubt, I get it. I appreciate it. It's because you're considering things carefully and thoughtfully for your loved one with Down syndrome. Please talk about those reasons with your, your physician because it's important to discuss them and I want to uh, strongly encourage uh, everyone to have those open and honest discussions with their primary care providers. Thank you. Can we get a little update on the Down syndrome clinic to you just to kind of see where you're at now? Thanks for asking, um, Stephen. You know, I think we've learned a lot of people have put off some of the routine medical care while they've been in the pandemic. We've been locked up at home and staying healthy. We've been scared to leave. And now all of a sudden, now that it's safe and we're encouraging everyone to go back into the community once you've been vaccinated, now is the time to make sure that your loved one with Down syndrome is up to date on all the health and wellness checks that are out there. And we talked about this last time. Most primary care physicians have one or two patients with Down syndrome in their practice. So it's unreasonable and impractical to think that they're going to be up to date on all the recommendations for people with Down syndrome. This is what I do and this is what my team does all day. We look at how best to take care of people with Down syndrome, but we don't have the capacity to see everyone with Down syndrome in our clinic, nor does everyone have the socioeconomic means to make a trip to Boston. So we made it easy. We work with a national team of experts to put all the resources on our webpage, which we're calling Down Syndrome Clinic to you. And how it works is a parent from home goes online, says, yes, I want it. They fill in all of the questions or symptoms or concerns they have about their loved one with Down syndrome. And when they press submit, they get two documents instantly that are personalized. A personalized checklist for the caregiver. Here are all the things to do to keep your loved one up to date on everything related to Down syndrome, along with every resource you could hope for, along with a companion document to take to the next primary care doctor visit. So your primary care doctor 
could then be turned into a Down syndrome specialist by given access to this checklist. And we are really hopeful that as people are starting to make sure their loved ones with Down syndrome are up to date, they think about Down syndrome clinic to you because that's why it's here um, for them. And I also have some exciting updates since the last time we talked. The first one is many Down syndrome nonprofit organizations are now making DSCTU either partially or fully subsidized for their members. So if you're listening in, call your local Down syndrome organization. They may have free coupons that they purchased for you and you'll be able to access it entirely for free. And my other exciting announcement is we also have our first insurer who has signed up and said, we will cover all the costs for our members with Down syndrome so they could have access to DSCDU as many times as they want for as long as they want. And that health insurer is always healthcare. So if anyone has always healthcare, they get DSCDU for free. And we'll continue to post all the updates on our website. And I'm committed with my team to contacting every insurer that's out there because we really feel this is a win-win for everyone. I love it. I love the changes. You're amazing. What a what a profound advocate you are. And I'm so happy that you're on our team. We'll include also a link to Down Syndrome to You so people can go online and fill that out. And then also Always Healthcare. Let's support them. They're supporting us. They believed in the power of the tool because we did the research with families over the past two years to show that families who utilize Down Syndrome Clinic to You we're able to make sure that their loved ones with Down syndrome were more adherent and up to date on all the recommendations by not leaving their primary care doctor. So you don't have to make 10,000 visits to the hospital. You don't have to go out of your way. We're coming right to your living room. And a big part of our mission is to democratize healthcare. No longer should you have to go to Harvard Medical School and Massachusetts General Hospital in order to get very good but very expensive care. We are now bringing that care to everyone, no matter where you live, no matter what your race is, no matter what your ethnicity is. And in this case, if you speak English or Spanish, it's entirely available in both languages. Our other mission, and we like to think big, is to make DSCTU available to everyone with Down syndrome across the globe. And we're currently working with the Down syndrome organizations in Japan and in India and the United Kingdom and others to see if we might be able to culturally and linguistically adapt it for those populations as well. What I love about Down Syndrome Clinic to you, it's so empowering to this community. It's as empowering as when we sit in an IEP with information, knowing our rights, even with a lawyer sometimes or an advocate to uh, advocate for the education and support for our children that we know that they deserve, that we know changes not only their lives, but the community. Now you're taking this on another level with medicine. You know, maybe the world hasn't changed as quickly as we want it to. Maybe those baby steps are too small for us. And so what this has done, this is empowering us as a community to say, okay, we'll take it. And we'll, we'll bridge that gap because sometimes you have to do it. It doesn't matter if it's right or wrong. It's like a relay. I know life isn't a race. It's a journey, but it's like a relay and we're going to take it. And then someone's going to take that baton and it will become something that just is what it always should have been. And, and that's what I love the, about the Down syndrome clinic to you is that it empowers me to, maybe I don't have the healthcare that my son needs. Maybe I don't have the information that I need. Maybe I don't understand Down syndrome or any symptom that my child has sends me into this uh, cave of fear because of everything that I've been told, but I don't have to live there. I can go to my computer or my phone or whatever I have. I can go to Down syndrome clinic to you. I can type in these symptoms, and I'm going to get a list. And maybe that list doesn't say something I want it to say, but at least it's information and information is power and information is how we change things. I love everything about everything you're doing to change this conversation globally. Well, thank you, Lori. You know, I agree. Health and wellness is fundamental to our overall wellness and happiness and quality of life. If someone with Down syndrome is not well, they're going to have trouble engaging in school, having trouble. Like you, when you feel crummy and something's going on, it's tough. All the other pieces of your ecosystem tend to fall apart. 
I want to avoid people with Down syndrome emerging for healthcare in a crisis. Yes, if all of a sudden things have been overlooked and they do have a medical crisis, we will be there to help them out. But so many things could be prevented and so many things could be treated in the early stages. So if people are out there listening saying, oh, my son or daughter is healthy and they're well, et cetera, et cetera. You are the very ones I want you to complete Down syndrome clinic to you because we want to keep them healthy and well. And so many of the measures are proactive and preventative. So we never get into those crises um, throughout the life journey. Yes, do it now. Just like when you go into the education system, start at kindergarten. Start at kindergarten advocating, making sure they stay on curriculum, making sure that they're getting the education they deserve, not when they're about to graduate and you realize nobody's supported them or educated them, and now they're out in the world free-falling. Do it now when uh, your child is healthy, and so if something comes up, you, you know right at the first sign of it. That's what we want to do, like just like we do for everyone. Well, we had talked to Dr. Mona Guerra, who is at Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, about your virtual clinic. And she was very open to it. She has several clients that have Down syndrome and we informed her about it. And, and she, like I said, was, was really open to it and, and interested in, and it's really such a tool and a great asset. What reactions are you seeing from the medical community when patients bring this information to their primary care physician? You know, Stephen, when we created this, we wanted to make sure that we involved primary care doctors in the creation of Down syndrome clinic to you so that it was a tool that would be usable by them. What I didn't want to do is, oh, here goes Harvard trying to tell the rest of the world how to practice medicine, right? We wanted to incorporate those voices. And we had a hardworking team of primary care physicians who have one or two patients with Down syndrome from around the country help build Down syndrome clinic to you. And when we were testing it, we also surveyed the primary care physicians whose uh, patients had been involved in this. And they all came back saying the information was accurate and made things helpful. And you did it in a way that was supportive and collaborative and didn't look like, oh, we missed things. And how could you have forgotten that? And that was a big relief for me because I respect the fact It is hard to be today's primary care doctor where sometimes you have 15 to 20 minutes to do a whole visit, and that is really tough to do. So we are here to try to make things as simple and explanatory as possible. And those who have continued to use it, we love getting the feedback from the caregivers and the primary care doctors. And so far, it's all been positive, but we also love constructive feedback as well, because Down syndrome clinic to you tomorrow is not going to be the same thing as today. And that's because we're constantly updating and feeding the information behind the machinery so that when you ping the system, you know you're getting the most up-to-date information. So as new information comes out about Down syndrome, you know it's going to be factored into the machinery. So let me ask you for our listeners, because we do have listeners in other countries, can they access the Down syndrome clinic to you or how could they or how would that be a possibility while you're in the process of making it global? Anyone from around the world who has access to the internet could go to dsc2u.org. And as long as they can access and speak English or Spanish, they could sign up and it's for them. It's important to understand all of the medical recommendations and the wellness advice is based on U.S. model of care. So in other countries, there might be different practices of care, but As long as you can access English and Spanish and you understand this is the way we practice medicine in in the United States and you want it, it is yours to have. We also hope over time with increased revenue or increased grants, we'll be able to continue to translate it into other languages for people to access around the world. And the fee for that in, in other countries? So right now, the fee is the same for anyone who accesses it, and that is $49 to be able to use it. Like I mentioned, many Down syndrome organizations, both nationally and internationally, have decided to buy access for their members. So check in with your Down syndrome organization. They may have free coupons for you, which I love. Many Down syndrome organizations say, we don't have a Down syndrome clinic in our state, or we don't have a Down syndrome clinic in our country. So we do all these fundraisers and all these walks. What better thing than to give the gift of health to our members? So they've been buying the access coupons, and then they give them to their their family members. We're also, at the end of this year, going to have a subscription service because we heard from families, rather than having to like pay every time I come back, I want it as though it's like a magazine subscription or a gym membership. I pay a one-time fee per year. 
And I could go and put any symptom I want throughout the year. And I'm concerned, is this Down syndrome? Is it not Down syndrome? And I will get immediate feedback. And by the end of this year, that subscription service will also be engineered and up and going. And so that will also be available to people. So the last time we talked, you couldn't buy a gift, I guess a gift certificate for somebody, but now that's something that we could go on and, and buy some access codes. That's right. Any organization or individual that would like to buy a group of access codes to give it to their community or people, it's all there on our website, how to do it. And we're so excited to now have rolled out that program. And it's, you know, Laureate needs us to take care of each other. And this is why we have formed potluck get-togethers, nonprofit organizations, Facebook gatherings. We, we give the best information, but we also help each other out in time of need. My goal as a clinician is to make this as accessible and as affordable as possible to people around the globe. And I can only do that with everyone's help. Yeah. So if you are in the process of- You're going of- to a baby shower- Oh, and you know wow, that yeah. that uh, <laughs> that mother is expecting a child with Down syndrome. Why not give that gift card along with the you know? Yeah, that's really great. Right? I was I was gonna say if you were organizing an event or some kind of fundraiser, what a great way to to spend those funds. Just the the idea that at the end of the year it could be subscription based. I think that would generate the activity more. Where you buy a, a year, then you're going to. Uh, see it as, you know, maybe you can set yourself some reminders and you say, I'm going to go, you know, every month I'm going to, going to just fill this out and stay up with it. And it, and it kind of promotes uh, the activity. You know, I have a meditation app that's really important to me. And when I first um, signed on several years ago, I would kind of pay every time I needed to use it. And I found I wasn't using it as much because somehow there's that psychosocial barrier. But now that I have a year-long subscription, I'm accessing that often, one, because it's helpful to me and I need it, and I find meditation so helpful for my practice. But two, I feel like I paid for it, so I better get my money's use of it. So I really do think there's something about having a subscription model that really uh, makes it more affordable and also, in a way, makes it more accessible uh, for so many of us in so many different ways. But also getting out from under the fear of health, because... That's just something that was presented, I know, to us right off the bat is the health, the health, the health. Well, what is, is, and it's not universal. Everybody's experience is not universal. And sometimes the universals are not really what they painted them to be when we first started this journey. But we can get from underneath any kind of fear. Like we don't have to fear. Like just like we we take care of ourselves. We go to these yearly exams. We make sure. And why do we do that? You know, we do that. It's not, it's not necessary. Obviously there's that fear if something were to be found, but it's also to empower us to have a a part of it and to take control of our lives. Right. And so I think that is what is so absolutely wonderful when we're talking about, you know, taking this paperwork to different companies about employing our community. Is there a way to take this information, this um, Down syndrome clinic to you, to our schools? You know, what about the school nurses? What about like into the community to, because it's the same thing, you know, when our child gets, when our child gets sick at school, it's like, we, it's, it doesn't matter what it is. We get a 911 phone call. You have to come get him. Come pick him up. And it can be something as easy as, well, why did you give him blueberry yogurt? Yeah. If it was our typical child that they'd wipe her off, change her shirt and send her back to math. Right. They don't do that. (laughs) Right. Well, I love what you're saying because we want Down syndrome clinic to you to be beneficial to everyone on the board of directors for that loved one with Down syndrome. And oftentimes that is educators as well. And Down syndrome clinic to you is more than just a medical classic medical uh, instrument. If people ask the system, how best do you teach math to people with Down syndrome? We have information about that because that's part of what we answer in our clinic. How best do people with Down syndrome learn to read? We have that information. Oh, how do I sign up for social security income? When do I do this? What about guardianship options? What about employment options that we've talked about? The whole life journey, or even if someone with Down syndrome says, I wanna learn how to take public transportation on my own, that's a question we ask because that's in many ways a health and wellness question. We have resources for that person as well. So I really tell people, you know, it's kind of an overall life coach package of which 
we define health broadly, it's not just the laboratory test we're ordering, but all the psychosocial, educational, and yes, medical components that people with Down syndrome need to maximize their overall happiness. So that's a gift we could, when we're doing these fundraisers for school and we do them for the library and for new books and to, and to retar that track, why not for a, a subscription to better empower their school to support our children with the information? You, you don't know. I understand the fear of teachers. Like, I don't know how to educate. I don't know how to teach math to your son. Oh, you know what? I can help you with that you know, and, and then it's in there, then, then the question, if that, if that tool is made available and it's not used, then we have to question why, and then we can make a change on that level as well. So I I think it's finding that voice and having an equal place at the table. I think that's really something as a community we need to, we need to, we need as a community to make that change because we're fed the information that we're not equal. We're fed the information that when we go into the school system, that this is, we're doing you a favor. We're, we're just that, that uh, message, no matter how hard we're advocating, that message is still there and it does affect us. Like Stephen and I catch ourselves all the time going, oh, I just sounded like Oliver. May I have some more, please? And even if you're the strongest advocate, that message gets into you and we, we need to we, we just need to get rid of that message. We need to minimize it. We need to know that it's not the right message and then empower ourselves to sit at the table and be equal. People with Down syndrome deserve to have a seat at every table. And I always say, beware of pity because on its face, it looks like it might be helpful, but underneath it, it is not seeing the person across the table as a co-equal, which is what you're saying, Lori. And so, um, you know, if we all just followed the lead of people with Down syndrome, we'd be far better off. Um, They, my sister Kristen, and all of the people I get to take care of at MGH continue to teach me. They continue to make me a better person. And we're all so lucky to have it. And, you know, let's just keep on chopping the weeds of society away from them so that they could be the best they could possibly be. Our conversations go, the time goes way too fast. Thank you so much for this, for this hour with you and for all the great things you're doing, Dr. Scott Coe. It is always a pleasure. You guys are great. I always love talking with both of you. Thank you for having me as a guest and I hope we could talk again soon. Please follow us on Twitter at If We Knew Then Pod and you can drop us a line on our Facebook page at If We Knew Then Pod. or visit our website, ifweknewthen.com to send us an email with questions and comments. And you can join our mailing list there and get alerts of future podcast episodes. All these links will be added to this episode's show notes. Thank you again, and we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of If We Knew Then. Amazon.